Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. And here we are for another lovely Flow Line episode from our home studios. How are you today, Justin? Man, I'm good. And Matt, you you opened up quite nicely, I got to say, Matt. So uh, that, that might be a regular thing, but I'm doing well. You know, it's... Uh, it's a little bit cloudy here, and looking out my kitchen window, um, things are going things are going relatively well, all things considering. My you know my family's happy, the wife's happy, we're healthy, we don't have coronavirus, um, we have mud in the hole, the bits are turning to the right, a little bit less than we'd like, but hey, ultimately things are going well. You know, it's all about perspective, but doing good nonetheless. How about you, Matt? Yeah, I mean. So it's uh, it's getting muggy. I've heard that maybe the heat isn't something that limits coronavirus spread, but if there's a chance, I think Houston's about to get it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mowed my lawn yesterday, and it was it was a bit of a workout, but we got it in, and uh, now all of the people trying to get out of their homes and walk around can admire our lovely lawn. Um, well, I know I think, you live in uh, the inner city, so how much lawn is that? You know what? We we have a little bit more lawn than some, although it's it's you know we have a bigger backyard and that was sort of strategic. Mm-hmm. We basically built on like one side of the lot so that we could have an area for my kid to run around. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there is, I think, a respectable yard that we have. Although compared to suburbia, <laughs> I would say that um, we don't have quite the acreage. Um, but you know what? I'm going to call it a lawn and it takes some time, enough time to mow that I work up a sweat. So no, and and I gotta say listeners, you know, I, I kind of poke fun at that, but I've been to his house. He does have a fairly decent sized yard. So, uh, especially for living in, in the inner city. So, so Matt, I applaud you for mowing your own lawn. Living in Canada, we mow our own lawns and down here it's very rare. So uh, I found that kind of odd. And for the first, like, five years of living in Texas, I actually mowed my own lawn and people thought I was crazy. But, uh, as the heat, the summer heats come on, um, you know, and, and as the, as, as you progress, uh, you tend to get bigger yards, maybe perhaps bigger houses. And now we're at a point where we've hired people and we are now in a position that we have contemplated getting rid of that luxury just because of the circumstances that we're all facing right now. Uh, so, but the, the the bad part about that is I actually gave my lawnmower to someone uh, before this all happened, and now my wife's not too happy with me because she's told me that I need to start mowing the lawn again, and she's like, "Yeah, can you get your our lawnmower back? Because you borrowed it, or uh, Jordan borrowed it, and, and not the Jordan that we work with, another one." But uh, anyway, to make a long story short, I'm kind of in a pickle now because my wife wants me to start mowing the lawn again, and I gave our lawnmower away. So anyway. That's another story. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I get all sort of, you know, I get kudos for mowing my own lawn, but um, I think it just comes down to me being cheap. Uh, you know, I, I don't want too much credit. I, I change my own oil too, and it's because it, I'm cheap. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. It, it doesn't take a ton of time. I guess I do. It does like feel good. It feels like I accomplished something, but yeah. at the end of the day, <laughs> for the most part, it's that it just costs me considerably less. Um, and if I can save 20 or 30 bucks here, uh, I'm the type of guy that will, 
So mm. um, that's good, though, you know, because it's you look at in, in a lot of the, you know, and if people value wealth and, and stuff like that, you know, you look at some of the people that have done very well for themselves financially. It's not because they spend a ton of money. It's because they actually manage to save a bunch more than most. And so I applaud you for that. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> you know, during these times, oh. I think I could be a trendsetter because, you know, it's, hey, maybe it is time to start mowing our own lawn. That's, that's you know, money I can keep in my pocket. But yeah. I also do understand in the middle of July in Houston when I mow my lawn and I almost collapse exhausted in the, uh, in the house after doing so, wow, I understand <laughs> why people pay for this. Yeah, but you got to give it up to the folks that do that for a living, and they're wearing no kidding long sleeves, long pants, and uh, yeah, definitely they earn it. They do they for sure, it. for sure. Uh, well, Matt, you know, obviously the listeners could probably tell we're we're kind of going off on a little bit. Uh, our our uh, you know the format here has been a little different, Matt. Why don't we go ahead and and this was your idea, and and I really enjoyed. Uh, kind of reading your thoughts on this, but why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners kind of what our, what our purpose is for today's episode? Well, I felt like last episode was like crazy technical, which it was, but I felt like it was necessary to communicate. And I was, I was like, you know, we've done a few fun episodes and I think some people have enjoyed that the most just because it's relatable to more people and that sort of thing. But I, I think right now everybody needs some encouragement. And so I want to, I want to speak against the gloom and doom um, and all the bad news we're hearing and, and basically kind of look at, you know, when people have predicted the future, where, ha what have they said and how right have they been? So, well, everybody right now is telling you that you're going to be locked in your home for the next 18 months um, and that the economy is never going to start up again. Um, you know, do we have reason to believe that they're right? Do we have reason to believe that they're wrong? Um, I think that uh, there's a lot about predicting the future that we can kind of kick around and maybe find some encouragement. So that was sort of what I wanted to run through. No, I like it. And, and I think a lot of people can identify with that because anytime you look at the news, social media, I mean, there's certainly uh, glimmers of hope, but I think for the most part, and, and again, social media they prey on people's fears and, 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 and whether that's the news or anything like that. But, but I mean, there are, you know, and, and even speaking with folks around the industry, different, you know, you know, whether it be customers, um, people that I do podcasting with on, you know, on the other side of things, um, just talking to people outside of, like I talked to a gentleman on the midstream side the other day um, who, you know, was rather positive uh, I talked this morning to a gentleman who is in uh, logistics and uh, has his own trucking company. Um, and, and, and people are certainly changing their mindset uh, towards more, you know, how do we actually come out of this thing? There's, there, there's certainly things to look forward to. Uh, and, and like you said, I think most people are hoping for, um, you know, hopefully life on the other, their end of this whole coronavirus and, you know, oil, patch downturn uh to be to be better and and, and and get back to normal what does normal look like who knows but like you said there's there's certainly been predictions of what we thought 2020 was going to look like and matt you sent me a really interesting link and and, and i'll let you speak on that a little bit uh, and i'm going to click it open too but predictions are often uh very wrong and, and so matt why don't you touch on that 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the joke about the line graph, right? Whatever trend you had on the last two data points goes, you know, into infinity, either up or down or flat. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. it, you know, we, we know that that's just not how the world works. But it seems like when we just take those small data points, we extrapolate them out. And it's kind of hard not to see anything but bad news when you're seeing bad news. Um, and so I, the link I sent is I, I just kind of Googled, you know, what are some predictions that they had for 2020? Um, and, and granted, some of these took place 50 years, 100 years ago, but it's almost comical what you read. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Justin, why don't you share a couple of your favorites? But there's uh, I'll, I'll share some of mine. But uh, but, you know, the very first one is that human feet will become one big toe. And uh, so you know, in 1911 a guy in the Royal College of Surgeons of England predicted that all of your toes would all merge together. Um, wow. You know, I, I mean, they're, they're downright goofy. Um, there's a, we'll all have personal helicopters. Um, <laughs> I, I don't have one. I think I'd be terrified to fly one. I guess the assumption would be that, you know, it'd be automated. Right. But, well, if um, anyone's seen the movie Wolf of Wall Street, um, I think the crash that he has in his personal helicopter would be something similar to I to, to something that I would probably end up having, not because of the intoxication, but just because the level of excitement and joy and you know what can this helicopter do? I, I, I don't exactly. think it, it would be pretty chaotic. And it's funny you mentioned the one toe. Uh, you know, it would certainly change this little piggy uh, nursery rhyme. It would be rather just the one big toe nursery rhyme somehow. So. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, this is, were there any other ones that caught your eye? Cause I, I mean, there's 23 of them and I think all are crazy, but some of them are just out of this world. Mail will be sent via rocket. Um, it looked like that was sort of expected just because, you know, I think this was back in the fifties, like rockets were really cool and they were doing all kinds of things. So, um, that's the new, you know, mode of transportation. Um, our arrival on Mars. Well, I know that Elon Musk would tell us that we're close. Um, mm -hmm. wherever you, you feel like on that, uh, fact is we're not there yet. Um, yeah, I like this uh, one. Nobody will work and everyone will be rich. It may not be this year, but I'm hoping for next year. You know, what's interesting about that is most of the conversations now are talking about how automation is going to eliminate all of our jobs and that we like if the government doesn't set up some sort of universal basic income that everybody's like going to be out of work because it'll be replaced by a robot. Um, <clears throat> and I, you know, once again, I, I, I don't see it, you know, happening in that way, but it's just, it's interesting. The conversation is totally different now and who knows oh. if we're right or wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, I think it's, uh, I think it's it's quite amusing. Um, <laughs> well, it's, yeah. What else do we have here? Everyone will be a vegetarian now. Granted, that's popular, but um, not necessarily so yet. In fact, I'm I, I enjoy some meat on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. uh, have you tried the whole uh, vegetarian trend that was going on after? Uh, oh, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank, but there was uh, Game Changers. Yeah, did you ever did you ever watch that? No, I didn't watch it. Uh, you, you know, what's interesting to me, so I've, I've spent some time in India, and um, 
I, I found, I learned to love vegetarian food there in particular, just because they're so good at flavoring it and everything. And I've learned and, and come to appreciate it considerably more. Um, and my brother-in-law is actually a vegetarian. And so, you know, yeah. kind of trying to accommodate him is, it's been interesting because you do, you know, find some, some things that are, that are pretty good. Uh, I just still think it's, you know, no matter what they think they can do in a lab with plants, I don't think you're, you've changed out my steak yet. Right. Well, I think it's so funny when people like a lot of these vegetarian companies try and make uh, vegetarian meat, like, isn't that completely defeat the purpose? I mean, for me, you know, it, it's like my whole thing is even, I don't know, like veggie burgers, as they call them, they taste <laughs> fine to me as long as, but I, the reason I hated them at first is I thought they were supposed to taste like a burger. And once it was like, <laughs> yeah. no, this is just a patty of nuts and other plant-based things. It was like, oh, okay. I mean, right. I for a burger, but I'll eat this. Yeah. I think the way they market it sometimes is goofy. Like, and, uh, but anyway, that, that, that's like almost getting into, uh, you know, it's almost as serious as politics. People get very, very serious about their vegetarianism, but nonetheless, I, I think where it adds, you know, some value to people's lives is a lot of times, you know, in, in, even in our office, people will be like, Oh, I'm going on this diet. I'm going on that diet. Um, just eliminating a lot of the bad foods that we typically consume by going strictly to one diet or the other actually helps them. And it's not necessarily because they're eating that diet. It's actually that they're eliminating other things that normally mm -hmm. hurt them. But uh, actually that leads me to my next question, Matt, during this whole downturn, how have you guys been on the old uh, grocery front? Have you guys, you know, gone through the, uh, the apocalypse at the grocery stores or have you done a lot of like eating, like, you know, the, you know, delivery stuff? Like how, what does that look like for you guys right now? So right now we're doing a lot of the delivered meals, the, the meal kits, which, um, I think has kind of kept us accountable to eating healthier. Yeah. Uh, and, and they've been nice, you know, they're, they're not cheap. That's the only thing I'll, I'll say is, um, you know, they're, they're, uh, you got to kind of work the discount angle and that sort of thing. And, and there's a price to it, but, uh, it, it, I think with the grocery right now, it's just been frustrating because you don't know what you're going to be able to get on different days. Yeah. And so it's harder to plan out a meal. Even if you're like, Oh, we're going to cook fish tonight. It's like, well, I couldn't get salmon, but maybe they'll have it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So that has really helped us. Um, and then I'll uh, like, I am nowhere near as sophisticated in dieting as, as you, I, I really love these frozen bags of steamer bags of vegetables. Like they've got all these blends and stuff and I'll eat those just about any time as a meal. If, if I can't think of anything. So between those and the meal kits, I think I've done okay. Um, you know, the diet stuff has probably gotten a little better. Honestly, it's the exercise that, uh, I'm still, you know, running a couple times a week, but I think the flip side of it is I am sitting at my desk almost all day. Yeah. So. No, it's crazy because I was, I was talking to someone earlier about this and, you know, uh, one of our customers knows, uh, you know, even, so I have a little pod inside of, inside of one of our customers' offices and um, it, it's, it's, it's got the ability to do the stand-up desk or the sit-down and, and mine's always at the stand-up and they always give me a hard time for that. And then in our office too, I have the stand-up desk and so... Um, I've been actually forced now that I have my home office, which is not really an office, but 
sitting down for as long as I have during this. Uh, I, I'm stiff in all the weird places, and I'm and I'm not nearly as active as I am during you know regular uh, non quarantine time. Um, yeah. But uh, the level of activity I think has uh, gone down for a lot of people. But on the flip side, what I find interesting, um, and, and this is kind of the silver lining behind this whole quarantine, is I've seen so many people. So like after we put the kids to bed. Um, I've been fortunate uh, enough to have, uh, uh, we've got basically a little home gym inside our garage. And so my wife and I will go work out after we put the kiddos to bed. But I see so many people walking with, you know, their wives or their husbands and their kids. And we live in suburbia and, you know, it's all a bunch of young families. But but the level of activity in the evenings that people are doing together as families, I find is astonishing and it makes sense, but it's also, it's, it's, to me, it, it really makes me happy to see that. Do, are you noticing that too at all? Or am I just like living in a bubble here out in Katy? Oh yeah, no, I mean all the, all the trails. So I, I mean, I go running on Buffalo Bayou a couple times a week, uh, and, and you are seeing considerably more people. Um, and, and you can tell they haven't been down there, which is kind of cool just because they clearly don't know where they're going, um, which if you're running can sometimes be frustrating to, you know, work your way around someone who's sort of changing directions in front of you and everything. But, um, I think it's cool that they're really enjoying that space now and, and hopefully that'll become, you know, a habit because it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're seeing that and, and all the, like a lot of the old railroad tracks around here were, were paved with these 10 foot wide trails, uh, to kind of connect all the parks. And I mean, in the middle of the day, they get pretty crowded. Uh, to the point where I think some folks get a little, you know, you see the lovely next door posts about people feeling antsy about social distancing and that sort of thing. But everybody's been pretty courteous as far as I can tell. So, you know, there have been some good things uh, mm-hmm. and hopefully we can take some of those good things and, and keep them running uh, into the future. But, yeah. uh, you know, we've got, we've got these crazy predictions that people are saying about, you know, whatever's going to happen with the price of oil that, you know, half the world's going to lose their jobs. Uh, what type of, you know, is this a, a recession or a depression or a great depression? Um, and we don't know what we don't know. And one of the, so there's a quote, I, I don't know, you know, wherever you stand on politics and some of these other things, if you've ever heard Donald Rumsfeld quotes, this man can say so many words without saying anything that like the, some of it's actually been published into a book of quotes from but this one I feel like on predicting the true predicting the future is really true. And so it just keeps running back through my head. And he says, reports that say that something hasn't happened are always interesting to me because as we know, there are known knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown unknowns. The ones we don't know we don't know. And if one looks throughout the history of our country and other free countries, it is the latter category that tend to be the difficult ones. Um, and I really appreciated that. There was an editorial in the Wall Street Journal, uh, I don't know, maybe two weeks ago. Um, and I will totally butcher this guy's name, Dr. Bhattacharya. Um, and, and he wrote, uh, you know, the fact is that even when we're trying to talk about the coronavirus the data is very limited and the quality is very limited because we don't have the information to make uh, So whenever you hear these predictions, everybody's using the same information and they're coming up with dire predictions. They're coming up with very optimistic predictions, but they're all using the same information. 
conviction. And he's, he said, look, I'm not here to throw rocks at anybody, but here's the data I want. And give me some, you know, give me some funding in a couple of weeks. This guy's with Stanford Medical School. Mm-hmm. So give me some funding in a couple of weeks, and I will make predictions that I believe are far more reliable than what you're reading out there. And and his point was, and I'm sure you've if you've read anything about coronavirus, he said, look, you know, most of the time what we're testing are people who think they're sick. And so you your positive tests are people who are showing symptoms, and um, a lot of them turn out to actually just have the flu. But the other part of it is we don't have a we don't have a way of testing the antibodies of somebody who had it maybe didn't know it and got better. Um, so we don't actually know in the whole population where we don't say someone who's feeling well or test a, a number of people are feeling well that they had it and didn't know about it or got sick and thought it was something else and got better. What percentage that is? And so saying, you know, we're just we're doing a lot of forecasting on data that isn't very good, mm. and there's a problem with that. And I want to, I don't want to get into the weeds on COVID-19. Um, you've seen all the opinions and the, you know, depending on what news source you go to, the entire range of opinions. But what I did want to do is, is use that as an example of going into the price of oil. Uh, because right now we have gloom and doom. We have all kinds of other things. And so, uh, you know, Justin, I sent you a, a prediction table um, it's basically a retrospective by the Energy Information Administration reviewing years 1994 to 2017. Right. So yeah. Sorry. The EIA and basically says this is you know what we think the price of oil is going to be and and what do you see on that table as far as a review of how accurate they were? Absolutely not accurate. In fact, a huge variance. Yeah. So um, taking a look at. Uh, Total petroleum consumption, look at that column, percent of projections overestimated. Um, What is that percentage? Uh, So going back, you said the total petroleum consumption. (laughs) Yeah. So the the percent, you talked about the percent projections overestimated? Yeah. Yeah, that's 72.6. So 73% overestimated. Yeah. So... um, you know, uh, how about uh, natural gas consumption? Uh, go down a few rows. Yeah, 62.5. Um, I mean, we're not talking slim margins here. We're talking massive, massive percent of projections overestimated. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and the point I'm trying to make is you can Google this, and um, I should bring up, there, there's a guy on Twitter who just rips the EIA for being, for being completely wrong on these predictions. Um, and they're fairly cynical, and granted, they're doing the best they can with the information they have, but they can't predict the future. Of course. Um, and so, while they're cited as an authority and people make decisions, I think it's it's a lot of it is saying, hey, I used an authoritative source to make my decisions. Well, why, j- just because they're considered an authoritative source doesn't necessarily mean they're right. It means they're making a prediction based upon data that may or may not tell them what's going to happen in the future. Um, so when you hear this gloom and doom, I look at this table and I say, okay, I don't think anybody knows. I think the most honest answer is to say, you know what? Information leads me in this direction, but for me to put a number on paper might not intellectually be honest or forthcoming without a bunch of qualifications. Um, I mean, what's your take on that, Justin? Have you seen predictions like this before? I, you know, I have. But I'm not a huge um, 
prediction and numbers guy when it comes to this kind of stuff because I, I, I often know just that it's normally not accurate. Um, I think that and I think kind of tying it back to, to what people like most of the time people if they go off a of feeling or gut instinct on what's happening or what they feel is going to happen, most people are number or factual driven or like, well, how can you quantify that? But, but the reality is, like you said, a lot of stuff that we try and quantify and put in, you know, into absolute values to be able to predict something in the future normally are off, but it's the best thing that we have at that time. And a lot of it's averages over averages over averages. And it's like, in, in it's, it's like what we experience in oil and gas. I think data is the same way. It's like, you know, the, the amount of data that we have and what we do with it and how we predict things. Um, it, it's, it's the best we have at the time uh, and people hang their hat on it. And then the market and social media hang their hats on it. Wall Street somewhat hangs their hat on it. And then, so it, that's what kind of like drives the boat. But I think what people really have to just take a step back and look at just, um, you know, practically what's going on and objectively get an idea versus simply going off, off, off just data in itself. But the challenge is a lot of people and, and even looking at social media and a lot of people that have a good reputation on things like LinkedIn and Twitter, um, you know, it's like, well, let's look at the data. Like there's some folks out there that are saying, you know, look, if you look at the data and, uh, you know, the flu kills way more people than this coronavirus does. So if you, you really look at it, you, everyone should just be going back to work and whoever gets it, gets it. And we just, life goes on. Um, but it's like what to say is right and what's wrong because everyone values something a little differently. And what's important to some people is maybe be important to other people. And maybe that, that's probably not the, the answer that you to the question you even asked. But I guess when it comes to predictions, um, I try not to really think about it too much. Uh, uh, and, and again, I'm, I'm somewhat of a numbers and data person, but I also look at just, you know, just in talking to people, what they think is going to happen um, based off what they know. Some people, it's it's a lot more positive now than it was. But ultimately, I, I guess my point is like, don't get caught up in reading certain things like what we're explaining here with the EIA um and, and really just give yourself you know look at a bunch of different resources and become knowledgeable in the fundamentals of what's going on and then draw your own conclusions versus just like going directly to a source seeing something and being like yep that's the end all be all because i think that's what creates whether it's fear or more divide uh you know that to me is something that's important and that's, that's kind of my my take on it man i don't know if that exactly answers your question but that's kind of how i I feel about that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, yeah, you do the best you can with the information you've got. And I, th I think that's, you know, even sometimes people say, well, history will be the judge of that. And, and sometimes, like, when I think of, you know, political leaders and that sort of thing, I say, okay, well, you know, it's not fair. <laughs> they probably made a decision with the information they had. And we know history knows they were wrong or their information wasn't correct. But, okay, like, were they supposed to know that? Is that is that fair to critique their leadership because they were doing this off of incorrect information? But I think the other thing is there's just this broad swath of, of data that, you know, you can Google and look around for some reassurance and you may find that you can search for some, you know, if you want to be pessimistic, I think you can 
you can easily find that information. Um, but a lot of it is you're almost shopping for, you know, extrapolations from the same information that I think is trying to predict the future with very limited precedent to help predict it. Mm. Um, and, and because of that, uh, you know, where it's just easy. And, and I think it, it, everybody wants this reassurance. So say, okay, I ask an expert. Well, I think, it, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons you ask, you ask like a, a military general on a specific decision and they're going to have a very decisive answer because they're used to ha- offering decisive answers. Um, they might not be right or qualified to answer it. Um, and you know, so I, I think, you know, that's one thing I think, you know, drawing back to our COVID-19 metaphor, uh, you know, I have some friends who are doctors who work at the med center. Um, and as much as I really wrestle with, you know, are you balancing what's happening to the economy and to society as a whole versus what, you know, the, the effects of this, uh, of this, uh, virus, um, they very candidly say, these are my concerns and these are the things I think we can do about it. And it really helps me feel better, uh, when they say, no, you, you really need to follow these things. And and the more you do, the more you could protect somebody else's health, even if you don't, you know, you're not as worried about yourself or those kinds of things. And so I, I think, um, you know, when you have a, a friend or someone you trust on some of these things, it can help on others. The fact is they're just so used to being, you know, asked to provide an answer that they say it really confidently. And you say, well, it must be true. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think all of this kind of ties around to, um, you know, I, I think we can learn from all this that uh, we probably need to get better at how we get our information. And I'm not just talking about the news. I'm talking about as engineers. Um, let's get better at how we gather information. Um, and so, uh, you know, I talk about bending the curve. I, I think, uh, you know, instead of overwhelming ourselves with, a lot of bad or, or unclear decisions, maybe we can give ourselves enough time right now to gather some information and, and, uh, do better when we get busy again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think, uh, you know, as much as there is a lot of doom and gloom, I think it's an extrapolation of a lot of unclear information. Um, and I think at least what I'm seeing as far as opportunities go are, are, just, uh, you know, when we look at, at AES and opportunities for us, there's some things on a smaller scale we can experiment with and tighten down that scale really nicely. Um, they're more difficult to roll out at, you know, when we're busier. But right now, I think we can try a few things and the the risk is low on a smaller scale. And when we, you know, get back to it, we're going to have some really cool things to, to lean on. Um and I think it also helps us, you know, if we can keep that positive mindset, sort of dream big about what could be next. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin, do you see, do you look around and, and see some things where you say, you know what, right now I've got an opportunity to do A, B, and C that I couldn't do when I was crazy overwhelmed with the number of rigs I had to watch or, or you know, things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great question. And, and it's actually something I posted on LinkedIn and I, and I asked the question there more made the statement about, you know, now maybe the time to immerse yourselves in something that you're super passionate about and, and creating, you know, being a creator versus chasing money through a job that you don't necessarily even like. 
And for me, um, I would say this whole time that we're experiencing didn't necessarily make me change my my thought on that because I I feel like I was doing that beforehand. But what I do think, and 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 just in knowing what I know, is a lot of people that I've talked to are starting to get more creative in thinking of of ways to like how they're going to come out of this. And, and, and some of the things that's interesting that I looked up is like, uh, you know, especially within oil and gas, Venmo, event, you know, it changed the way we split bills and, you know, uh, go out and, and, and divide the way we, you know, split money or whatever. Uber changed the way we uh, ultimately, you know, for transportation, we work, changed the way we work. Airbnb changed the way we go on vacations. I mean, I think now is the time for us as an industry to come up with a revolutionary way of how we conduct business. Um, and so I think I'm, I'm more, I'm just excited because create chaos breeds innovation. It always has, and it always will. When we're in manufacturer mode, everything is all about, well, how can we get more efficient? You know, let's just drive, you know, drive costs down and do this and do that. But when your back is against the wall, it's like we're wired to to create and and to overcome certain things and i think a lot of people right now are are sitting and having their their minds are spinning and they're not distracted from the day-to-day stuff that normally we are and uh you know i say that to say i think there's gonna be a lot of good happenings that come out of this and i know it sounds very broad and there's nothing really tangible that i'm saying but people's mindsets right now are so shifted in, 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 in the, and again, I'm speaking in my network, you know, and in my bubble, but that that's just what I'm, I'm, I'm seeing. And initially it was kind of like doom and gloom negative. Like I'm, I'm afraid of, you know, everything, <clears throat> but uh, coming out of this, there's going to be some serious opportunity. And as companies and people out there, I think right now your the biggest tool is the internet, but it's it's it, it can all it, you know the, our biggest strength can be our biggest weakness. Our access to information right now is better than it's ever been in 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 history. Um, and yeah, like you said, Matt, if you know a lot of people are extrapolating data from bad news. Well, how do you differentiate that? And I think the more you try and educate yourself and and learn about you know, what's bad and what may be, you know, re- actual credible news is going to make a big difference. And so, uh, like I said, I, I think there's just, there's, there's going to be plenty of opportunity. And as long as people um, maybe have a different perspective on what they're chasing coming out of this, uh, there's going to be some, some, something, a lot of stuff to really look forward to. And us as a company, I know we're doing a lot of things in the background projects that we've normally just didn't necessarily have the time to do because it kind of took us off our critical path. But uh, us as a company, I mean, we have, I don't know a lot of stuff that I can disclose, but ultimately we're going to come out of this thing powerful. And and it's so exciting to see. And there's going to be people that are, I've had a lot of friends call me and even text me and hit me up on LinkedIn. You know, man, I was not expecting this. I thought I was a you know, a valuable employee, but Hey man, I got the cut, you know, let me know if there's anything that, you know, that's out there. Um, but, but like, look at that as an opportunity. There may be, now you may have time to do something that you would have thought of that you've thought of doing 
for the last two or three years, but you've been busy collecting a paycheck. Now you have the time to actually pursue that. Like there, there's some serious uh, silver lining here. And but again, it's it's the the perspective and the mindset and and you know and the time now that we have to to do this. And so, um, you know, Matt, I don't I don't know if we really had a purpose to this whole you know uh, to to this episode specifically, but but I think it's it's realizing that. You know, at the end of the day, the demand for energy is going to be there. Uh, the demand for oil and gas is going to be there. And so I encourage everyone to, to you know, continue to network. And, and for those who, you know, maybe kind of uh, a, a little bit fearful of the job market, right now is a great time to, and it sounds silly, but there's going to be people that are going to have to work for free and prove themselves for when this thing comes out ahead. And um, I know a lot of people that have literally hit up, you know, 20 or 30 different companies or people within companies and have said, Hey, look, I'm without a job, but I'm willing to work for free and to eat dirt for the next month. So that when things pick back up, you know, what I can, what I can do for you. Um, and so Matt, maybe I ask you a, a question. What, what can folks do right now um, just in general that are in the workforce to make sure that they stay relevant and, and anything that they can do. And maybe even more specifically from like drilling fluid or upstream um, because of the rig count dropping, you know, obviously we're a function of rig count, which is a function of oil prices, but what can people do now to, to make sure that, you know, they set themselves up for success uh, when this thing all turns back around? I mean, I think some of it depends on your function, but I, I would say that, you know, the two things I feel pretty strongly about is, is one, you know, staying sharp on sort of your, your technical skills. And, and, and I don't, I don't necessarily mean practice what you already know. I think investigate, you know, read up on what other people are doing. Uh, you know, now is the time where you don't have a commute or, or whatever, where you could read up uh, on books or papers or, or however, and get, you know, technical information that sort of helps you grow um, and say, wow, I didn't know people did this. And even if it's wrong, you at least can look at it and reflect on what you've been doing and say, well, I would do it different. Now I'm going to do what I do different. Um, and so I, I think that's one thing. And then I think the other side of it is uh, kind of the the soft skills side of things, the, the stuff that I, I think feeds your curiosity. But if, you know, understanding oil markets, um, you know, so like one of the things I was even thinking about, uh, uh, about closing with is, you ever heard of Daniel Jurgen? He wrote a book called the the prize. He yes. was the energy secretary, I think during the Reagan era. Um, and the book is like requi required reading in the oil field. Um, you really should have a read. It's, it's a big book, but you probably have time right now. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, when the price, uh, when, when, um, everybody said we were going to run out of oil, I don't know if, if you're old enough to remember that, but, uh, there was a time when everybody said, well, we're going to run out of oil. And, um, you know, peak oil was the conversation. Mm -hmm. And Daniel Jurgen said, look, I don't know. Um, he said, all I know is that the technology always comes through. Um, and this was a couple of years before the unconventional revolution. Um, and I think it just sort of shows, uh, you know, he's like, look, I, I don't know, but everything in the past tells me that someone's going to come up with something 
And guess what? Of course, we're swimming in plenty of oil again. Uh, but um, I think, you know, a, bo- a book like that or, or hearing from minds like that really give you that bigger bigger perspective on what your contribution is. And I think it just helps you think differently about business. It helps you think differently about things you could do for the business. Um, and so I, I'd encourage you to look at that kind of the, the, the bigger picture outside of upstream and even soft skills, working with people, team concept, team dynamics, that sort of thing. Uh, but, and then on the technical side, brush up your skills, but brush up your skills by learning what, what others have done and, and maybe trying to think outside of whatever, whatever standard practices you fell into because they were working for you to deliver what you needed to deliver. Um, now you have time to focus on a little bit. Uh, and then, you know, if, if you're looking for work, it's one of those where you can take those thoughts and bring that to your next interview. You can say, look, um, I, we did some things this way, but I've got some exciting ideas. I think I bring value to the table, um, and I'm happy to work with the team. So that would that would be my response. Um, it's pretty broad, but I think if I ever got too specific, I would be I would be wrong. Right, I hear you, man. No, that's a that's a great uh, that's great insight, and I think people can. So that's certainly some nuggets that people can walk away with, and uh, including myself, man. It's it's a great reminder and. Uh, Matt, you know, I, we could probably go on and on, but I want to respect people's time. And of course yours too. Uh, but yeah, totally a little bit of a, a different take on, uh, you know, the flow line, but, uh, Matt, I, I really like the idea and I think it's important to, uh, you know, stay relevant and, you know, just communicate with our audience that, uh, you know, it's, we've put in a lot of thought and into this as well. Um, you know, what's going on and, we wish people nothing but the best and, um, you know, utilize the full line as a resource. Hopefully we've, uh, helped you guys out in one way or another. Uh, and Matt, um, I know you're into woodworking. Hopefully you've been able to do a little more woodworking now that you've been stuck at home. How, you know, before we close out, Matt, any, any cool projects that you've recently completed? Uh, completed is a really operative word. I've got a lot of really great projects I'm working on and, I haven't been able to work as much as I thought. However, uh, I'm really looking forward. I, I think now I've kind of broken through. And so I really hope to have some some finished projects to show off to, especially my wife, who I keep waiting on, you know, keeps waiting on me to finish these things, but also <laughs> yeah. um, maybe be able to make some things for friends and, and family as well. Uh, so um, that was a dangerous question to ask. Um, <laughs> I'm going to cue you when I actually finish something so you can ask me and I talk about what I've accomplished. There you go. Hey, well, I know you're always working one way or another, but uh, Matt, that's about it for me today. Do you got any closing last words, buddy? Uh, I mean, all I'd say is, is, you know, be careful what you're reading right now. There's, there's a lot of ways to feel down and, and depressed, but there's also a lot of opportunity right now to look around and say, wow, I can affect so much change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really hope you, you, you pick that up that, that the people predicting the future don't have the data. Um, and they, and part of the data they lack is probably something that you're about to do that could change the way the industry does business. So take that to heart. Awesome. I love it. And with that being said, if anyone has any thoughts, questions, or even just want to generate some more conversation, hit us up at the Flowline podcast at aesfluids.com. Uh, you can hit us up on LinkedIn. We're always willing to chat and certainly appreciate the support. And hopefully everyone 
found this episode valuable. I know I did, Matt, and I certainly appreciate the conversation. Uh, But anyways, everyone keep safe and we will see you next week. Thanks, Matt. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.